0: Acts nineteen, if you would. I, uh, you, you, you may have noticed that I still have a display issue and that I have no display. So, I'm uh, trying to get the solution settled in my heart. If all of you be praying for me to, so I help to get something settled in my heart. Yeah, we'll do it the old-fashioned way before before we had pixels, right? So um, I know we've been talking about the end times for a long time. Uh, but I felt in my heart it was time to take a pause and shift gears just a bit. Of course, this always applies to the end times. But <clears throat> the reason for that is because every time I pray lately, I get the sense in my heart that there has been some urgency awakened in the body of Christ. This body... Specifically, but then also across the the nation, across the world, there has been um, more of an urgency, if you will, awakened in the body. And uh, I believe that's a God thing. I uh, also get the sense when I pray that people have said in their heart, wow, I see some things happening in the world right now that are concerning. And uh, there's also been the question attached to that, which is what should I be doing right now? What should I be doing? And we talked about this, you know, um, you know, a couple of weeks back, we talked about how uh, many times when people walk away from teaching about the end times, they're like, they don't feel prepared because they focused on all the negative things that are going to happen, you know. <clears throat> and so to me, it's a good question for these things. These que- I mean, it's a good thing that these questions be asked, that what should I be doing right now? What, what am I to be doing? And, you know, um, I think that the questions that occur to us sometimes make us nervous, you know, it's like, should I even be asking this question, you know, and uh, I'll just say, God is not scared of your questions, and uh, you can take that to the bank. Recently, I noticed people coming to me with questions about hearing God's voice, and also some concerns about what God thinks about the things that are going on in the earth, certain things going on. And, you know, I will say that as a pastor, that's, that's very encouraging to me because as soon as a Christian gets past the question of why is God not doing anything about this situation and instead they start asking what does God think about this situation, in that moment they have started asking the right questions. Amen. What do I mean by that? Well, you can ask anybody, what are you going to do about this? But if you ask them what do you think about this, that is a more relational question. You with me? Because it's no longer just about, God, what do you do? Now it's also, God, what do you think? What's your opinion? Just knowing what a person does is just an acquaintance level of relationship. I can say, okay, well, I know that, that he works at Burger King. That's what, I, that's what I know about him. You know, he works at Burger King. You know. But if you know what a person does and how they think, now you're approaching a bond of Friendship. And, you know, I've known people in the past who have struggled with the concept of being friends with God. But it's a biblical concept. You know, I think that a lot of times people think, well, you know, they get the, it's, that just seemed a little too close for them. I can't just, I can't. I mean, how, that's too familiar. How can I just call God my friend? How can I just call him that? But what did Jesus say to the disciples about this very thing? No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. And that goes back to knowing what God thinks. All things I heard from him I I told you about. You know what he thinks. Have you heard people, you know, and that's John 15, uh, 15, if you want to look that up. But have, have you heard people talking about something going on in the world and what they think God's going to do about it or they're posing questions about what God's going to do about it and someone ended the conversation with, well, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know, I think that's just laziness, or at least immaturity, because God wants us to know His mind. The Word tells us we have the mind of Christ. You have His mind. How do we have the mind of Christ? Because everything that we need to know, God is literally made into an open book for us. We just need to be taking delight in God's Word and asking the right questions in prayer. That's going to be on the test, by the way, so I'm going to say it one more time. We need to be taking delight in God's word and asking the right questions in prayer. In Psalm 119, the psalmist told God, I delight in your law. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, pray without ceasing. I used to wonder, how is it possible to never stop praying? But what it's really saying is make a lifestyle out of prayer. What would your life look like if you had a stronger delight in the Bible and lived a lifestyle of prayer to God? Just just stop and think. What would my life look like? And no, that doesn't mean taking a vow of silence and living in a monastery somewhere. The The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be content in God where you are and also wherever he moves you. That's why I titled today's message, Praying and Living. These things lead to godliness because prayer is the primary way we communicate with God. And living because Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We live by this, so we ought to know it, not to be in it. Delight in God's word. And live a lifestyle of prayer. And even though it sounds simple, it's like that's, that's it, that's that, yeah, uh, uh, but even that, that's, God knows that we need help with that. We, he's not left us to do that in our own strength. Let's look at this passage in Acts 19 where we turned, starting with verse 1. It says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So this is interesting. Paul finds these 12 people while he's on this journey. And when he finds out that they're believers, the next question he asks them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why is this such an important question? Why did Paul believe it was so vital to search this out honestly you could teach an entire class on it and still not have the fullness of the answer to that question but for today I'm going to answer that question in part with two Bible verses and uh, they're both found in the book of Romans let's go ahead and turn there just one book over from Acts we're keeping to a pretty tight cluster of books today Acts uh, excuse me Romans 8 and look down at uh, verse 8 uh, verse 14 excuse me how are you all today? Are you good? Blessed and highly favored, right? Praise God. Romans 8, verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, we talked about you know this before, but... Um, you know, it does, it does emphasize sons, but it's not that the that women who belong to Jesus are not included in that. God sees that you have, a, you, have the, you have the position of a son. You are not a son, but you have the same position as a son. Because in terms of inheritance, you have the same inheritance. Yeah. Praise God. Now, so again, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, what was the progression of Paul's priorities when he met those 12 believers. I had heard a, a minister say one time, he said, my favorite, and he was a, a minister over many other ministers at, you know, at Rayma. but he's not really over them, but he, he, he checks in on them and makes sure that they're okay. But he says, uh, uh, he says, one of my favorite questions to ask pastors is, what kind of Christian are you trying to train from the pulpit? You know, in other words, what purpose do you have when you step up in your teaching? What you're, you know, and he's like, most of them have no idea. But everything that Jesus did, he did with purpose. And everything that you see that Paul did, the apostles did, you know, they had a purpose behind how they talked to people, what they were pouring into people. So what's this progression? That Paul has a progression of, of priorities. So what's the first? First, he sought to know that they were disciples, believers. Because it says once he found out they were believers. Then he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So his first, his first priority is, are you saved? Do you belong to Christ? The next thing on the list is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? Can you see that? So here in this verse, we see the chief reason that this is so important. Because it said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. For as many as are led by who? The Spirit of God. And Paul's question was, did you receive who? The Holy Spirit. Okay. What happens if a person goes through life with no direction? Have you ever seen that happen? It doesn't usually end well, does it? So it's key here to remember that anyone who has said out loud that Jesus is their Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the dead is now born of God's Spirit. Okay, therefore, they are a child of God and they can expect to be led by the Spirit of God, just like Romans 8.14 said. But when a person receives the Holy Spirit, as Paul put it, that person is now going to be in closer fellowship with the Holy Spirit, which will help them to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit more closely. And there's much debate about whether a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment they accept Christ or not. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believe. There is a progression there. They they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and but they didn't start prophesying and praying in tongues until Paul laid his hands on them. Okay. So that's that passage in Acts. That should just end the debate right there. Because it's clear that those twelve believers believed before they received the Holy Spirit. We call it being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm not really teaching on this today, but many people wonder what is the difference between being born of God's Spirit and being baptized in God's Spirit because there is a difference. The moment you accept Christ, you are born of God's Spirit. You can be led. But, you know, if you if now receive the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, and now you are on a deeper level of relationship with Him. That too. You, he does. He expects more. In John 3, Jesus talked about being born of water and born of the Spirit. John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know, how I, I, you know maybe, maybe you're like these, one of these guys in Acts. It's like, I, don't, I never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, just ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You, you know, um, I mean, Or if you're here and you want us to lay hands on you, we'll do that too. Praise God. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we're just driving, driving our point home here. Is there any doubt that they were saved before they received that baptism? They had clearly already believed and made Jesus their Lord. And it's the same with these 12 guys that Paul talked to in Acts, apparently. And evidently, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is central to our faith. Because everywhere the early church went, they preached Jesus and got people saved. And their very next concern was getting them baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And we talked about that before. Does a person have to speak in tongues? No. Does a person get to? Yes. Praise God, after they've received the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's like... Like, like I said, I mean, I've, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I pray in other tongues. But if I stop praying in tongues, that doesn't make me any less baptized in the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is where people have a hard time. They think, oh, I didn't, if, unless I pray in tongues, I'm not baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, praying in tongues is just evidence of that. If you ask Jesus to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and you do that in faith, he's baptized you. Just believe that you received. Amen. Anyway, didn't mean to get off on all that. So there's still this debate, even though we see the progression, the, the we see the um, the priorities of the early church, that you, you can find it all the way through Acts. It's it's okay, you're saved now. Let's let's get you baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, and even though you see that, there's still a debate in the church about whether the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues is for today. Well, let me just say this, from my teaching, or from my reading of the Bible, rather, I'm fully convinced that it's still part of God's plan for today, obviously. For those that don't believe that, we can agree to disagree, that's fine, but I will issue a warning because I've, I've, I've what concerns me, it doesn't concern, I mean, if somebody says, well, that's, that's not for me, okay, fine, but some people take that a step further and they start saying bad things about it, you know a bad habit of saying that praying in other tongues is of the devil. That's the worst thing that I've heard. And I'm going to issue a warning about that, about saying that, because that's a very risky claim to make. I'll tell you why. You may remember during Jesus' earthly ministry, while he was casting out demons by the Spirit of God, some of the Pharisees were standing by, and out of envy, they told the the people around, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's how he's able to do that. What did Jesus respond with? He told them, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He says, how is that blasphemy? Because they were giving credit for the power of the Spirit of God to Satan. That means when someone gives credit to Satan, when that credit should be given to God, God considers himself to have been blasphemed. Which means if people are praying in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit then giving Satan, for that is blas- giving Satan credit for that is blasphemy. Jesus said that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now you understand what I mean when I say it's risky to claim that praying in other tongues is of the devil. Because if, if, the, if the people saying that are wrong, they have now blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which is a sin that Jesus said will not be forgiven. To me, then, it's not only risky, that's an unnecessary risk if a christian doesn't agree that praying with other t- in pr- agree with praying in other tongues you know there's no one saying that they must pray that way but they also don't need to say it's of the devil based on that then if i didn't agree that praying in other tongues was for today i just wouldn't say anything that's wisdom i think okay i just i don't know what to think about that i just won't say anything about it that's a better place to be There's no need to point fingers, you know. I'm just saying. Now, don't get me wrong. My heart is not to bring any accusation against anybody, but I want people to be aware of what the Bible tells us about this. So let me offer you some encouragement. If you're hearing this and you're getting worried, uh uh-oh, maybe I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Just remember that when Jesus warned the Pharisees about that, first of all, he wouldn't have warned them if he didn't intend on changing their perspective on it. If they were lost forever, why would he bother to change their perspective? So, so the implication then is, now that you know better, don't do that again. Because Jesus is merciful and patient with them because they didn't know any better. Just didn't know. And I believe he'll do the same with us if we didn't know any better. But I also believe that he expects more of us, like Clifford said earlier. When we learn more and we get to know better, he, learns, he expects more. But because it's, this, this is such a serious matter, we need to take it to heart when God gives us warnings in his word. Amen? Okay, so that's all i got to say about that. Uh, and I said I was going to give you two verses to answer the question of why it was so important to Paul to ask those 12 if they received the Holy Spirit when they first believed. The first verse I gave you was Romans 8.14, being, you know, being led by the Spirit. That's very important. We all want direction. And now, for the second, look down in the same chapter to verse 26, talking about why this was so important to Paul. Verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So since we were just on the topic, that phrase groanings, which cannot be uttered, is a reference to praying in tongues. That's why we we sometimes refer to praying in tongues as praying in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit prays in tongues. When we pray in tongues, we're just joining in with Him while He prays. That's why it's perfect prayer. As for us, those tongues are unknown. We don't catch the meaning. But the Holy Spirit is fluent in all languages. He's God. He knows all things. When we don't understand those groanings the word talks about, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he means by them. He's helping us in our weakness because we don't know what we should pray for and how how we should pray for it. It's what we were just told. We don't know what, what we should pray for and we don't know how to pray for it. Have you ever been in such a desperate situation that you knew praying to God was your only option? Did you feel like you knew exactly what you should pray? I'd be surprised if you did, unless you know now it's time to pray in the Spirit. (laughs) So it's vital to receive help from the Holy Spirit in prayer. And that's especially true if we are to have a lifestyle of prayer. But really, all this is to, I said all that just to reemphasize those two points I made earlier. Delight in God's Word and live a lifestyle of prayer to God. And you may say, okay, as far as the Holy Spirit goes, I get the prayer part, but where does delighting in God's Word come in? That's a fair question. Turn with me back back a couple books to John, chapter 14. Is your mind blown yet? My mind was when I first got a hold of all this. I thought, man, I don't know anything. Verse 26 in John 14, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Are there words that Jesus spoke to you in his word? Are there words that he spoke that are important to your life as a believer? The Holy Spirit is the one who reminds you of those words, of what he said. And, you know, when I first read that, my first question was, okay, well, what about the rest of the word? Then I remembered that John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the word. Jesus is in perfect agreement with everything God has spoken in this book. That means as you spend time in here, as you delight in in every part of God's word, and it is continually being planted in your heart again and again in greater and greater measure. You have heard more of what Jesus said to you, and now the Holy Spirit has more to remind you of when you have questions about your job, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your mom, your dad, your friends, your education, whatever crisis you may be going through. This this is so vital. And, you know, I mean... I, I I'm I'm one uh, who tends to nitpick, you know. I'd be like, well, you know, and so I ask questions like, well, what about some of those laws in the Old Testament that, you know, we don't that we don't uh, you know abide by, like the food rules and all that other stuff. But everything is is summed up in the commandment: love love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then also Jesus. And we said this before, because he, the word says he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Because he, he, because he bookends our faith, he gets to decide what's, what remains of the old covenant into the new. Because he established the new covenant. So he can say, uh, this in the Old Testament, these things are necessary, these other things as long as you are walking in love. Don't worry about that. It's fulfilled in walking in love. Not that some of those principles don't still apply. Like I can, I can say, uh, I can take, like for instance, the command to honor my father and mother. Now, if I'm walking in love toward my father and mother, I'm fulfilling the law. But I can also take that command specifically and understand that there's are specific uh, principles that go along with that. And I can be like, I'm honoring, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of my way to honor them in this way because I feel led to. Does this make sense? but you can't get caught up in the legalistic side of it. Jesus has freed us from that. We call it the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Amen. Don't know how I got off on all that either, but apparently someone needed to hear that, so at least I hope someone did. Otherwise, I wasted your time. So now, um, this idea, you know, of staying in the Word and, and... meditating on God's Word and delighting in God's Word that gives the Holy Spirit ample opportunity to say, remember what this, what the Word said. Remember, you know, I mean, Scripture verses pop up in your heart. Why? Because you planted them there and now the Holy Spirit is reminding you of them when you need them. I have a friend who once asked me about hearing from God and I'll never forget we had just walked out of my cousin's house and we were standing in, in the dark by our cars, you know, getting ready to leave. My cousin had invited us to a very classy evening of playing video games. And uh, it was now time to go home. It was late, you know, so we were standing out there. And this friend of mine suddenly got very thoughtful because we were, you know, you know, your post-conversation, you know, where you have walked out and you're standing by your cars and you're like, okay, well, let's, you know, talk a few more minutes and then head out. So he got really thoughtful all of a sudden. And he said, you know, you really seem to know God's voice. How do I get to where I can, I can do that too? And I didn't know exactly how to answer that. So I thought about it. And I said, well, have you ever been reading the Bible and suddenly it's like a, a verse just jumps off the page? He said, yeah, all the time. I'm like, that's God speaking to you. But he looked a little disappointed and he said, but I've heard you say things like God spoke to my heart and said such and such, you know, whatever. And I was standing by the car there thinking, didn't he ever notice that almost every time he heard me repeat something I heard from God that what I said was scripture? God spoke to my heart and told me this. Well, it's, it's it's either direct scripture or it's a paraphrase because the Holy Spirit is reminding me of things that Jesus spoke to me. And this is our boundary of safety as well. Because people are afraid of being deceived. Don't be afraid of being deceived, right. just don't be deceived. We talked about that too. Jesus said, don't be deceived. And people were like, well, uh, uh, how do I keep from being deceived? Know the word. Amen. Know the word. You know. Because people will say they heard God tell them all kind of crazy things. Yeah. God told me this. It's like, really? <laughs> no, surely not. How, you know how do we know it's really God it must line up with what God has already said in his word because we can get confused by our own thoughts as well just the other day you know my son Samuel struck up a conversation with me and I'm very proud of this conversation that he brought up with me he says dad something has confused me i said okay tell me about it he said i asked god if i should read the bible And I thought that the answer I got back was no. I said, all right. Now, remember that at at the start of this message that I told you God is not scared of your questions? And when you're ministering to people, you do your best to make them feel like they can ask you any question without you being horrified by what their question is. Because we don't want them to stop asking questions. Okay? If you don't know the answer, just tell them, "I, I don't know. I'll have to pray about it, or I'll have to get in the Word, and I'll get back to you. Or let's go talk to somebody who may know. In this case, though, I knew the answer to the problem. So I told told him the truth. I said, well, sometimes our own thoughts get in the way. Jesus said that from the heart proceed evil thoughts. Not all the thoughts that proceed from our heart are evil. Some of them are. So how do you root out the evil ones from the not evil ones? Well, if the evil ones don't line up with this, throw it out. It's evil. You know, if I, if I spend all my time like, oh, this evil thought came to my mind. What kind of person must I be? No, no. It's, it's an, if i identified it as an evil thought, no, that doesn't line up with God's word. Let's just toss that out. The Bible says to take captive every thought in Jesus' name. Bring him to the feet of Jesus. I've done that before. Lord, this thought occurred to me and it's evil, and so I'm leaving it at your feet here. In Jesus' name. So, <clears throat> so the, the first thing I said was, if God has already given an answer about something in his word, we, we don't need to ask that question, really. And I told him, I said, you and I have read the Bible together many times. Do you remember when Jesus would tell people, have you never read in the scriptures? What's Jesus implying? That you should be reading, you know, and he said, yeah, I remember him saying that. I said, okay, so we already know God's answer to that question. Should I read the Bible? Is yes, you should read the Bible. He said, okay. That, and that, that's why, you know, people get caught up in their mind and they get so worried about things. But it's, it's, it's let's, just, let's just deal with the situation and move on. You know, the next thing I told him is when you ask God a question, don't wait for a reply. Some of you are looking at me the same way he did. What? He just... <laughs> no, don't wait for a reply when you ask God a question. In Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Jesus said these words, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Amen. Those of you who have been with us for any length of time know we quote this verse a lot when it comes to believing God for healing or finances or other things, material things. Jesus was saying, believe before you see it. Believe you have it. Believe first, then receive. But that verse also includes asking God questions. If I ask God a question, I ask him a question and I believe that I've received it. Thank you, Lord, I received that answer. Do I know what it is yet? No. But I've received it. I have it. I mean, you may have money in your wallet right now. You may not know exactly how much you have, but you know you have it. <laughs> so, when I ask God a question, I don't wait for a reply. I I believe that I've received the answer, and then I move on. Thank you, Lord. More often than not, I, I come across the answer to the question as I'm reading the word a day later, a week later, or a year. Maybe longer. Maybe sometimes... God sends someone across my path, and they'll say something, that I'm like, that's the answer to that question that I asked. But no matter how long I wait, the answer, uh, not wait, but no matter how long I stand in faith that I have received it, no matter how long I do that, it comes at the right time when I need it. And the last thing I told Samuel was this, imagine that you wrote a letter to one of your friends. A long letter, just about some things you like and some things you don't like. And let's say that you sent that letter certified so that you know when your friend got the letter because he'd have to sign for it. And now let's say a couple weeks after you sent the letter, you see your friend and he asks you, what's your favorite color? Wouldn't you be thinking, didn't you read that letter I sent you? In the letter I said, my favorite color is yellow. Or red. And you might even be a little hurt that he didn't read the letter you wrote him. And you might, you might actually, you might not answer the question. You might say, go back and read the letter I wrote you. And you'll find out what my favorite color is. Because you took the time to put it in the letter. If you write a letter to someone, you expect them to read it. This is a long letter that God has written to each of us. And he knows if you ever had access to this letter. Had a conversation about that one time with God. He said everyone on earth is accountable because they all had the opportunity at some point. And this, this addresses the problem of, of some people who say, well, I asked God a question he never answered back. If he already answered that question in here, he's under no obligation to answer it again. I believe because of his goodness, he does sometimes. And he has with me. He's answered you know, answered it again. But he's not obligated to do that. That's the world's way of thinking to say what God is obligated to do or not do. And God knows how to give a reply to that kind of thinking. So don't be scared of people's questions because you have the helper, the Holy Spirit, who can give you the reply you need. And don't be surprised if it's the Word. You don't need to tell them it's the Word, it's truth. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness with their spirit that it's true. They might be shocked to find out later it's in the Bible. I mean, who knows? Someday they might be reading and go, that person told me this that time. Didn't even know it was in the Bible. So, you know, when you minister, you're not there to have all the answers. Your job is to be there and be faithful in witnessing about the Jesus you know. And if they need prayer, don't worry about that either. Some people get paralyzed because they think they have to have this long, eloquent prayer. Last week, I was having some popping in my left ear, some issues there. And Isaac and Tammy were in the room with me, and I asked them, I said, would you guys lay hands on me and pray? And Isaac put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I don't know what to say. I said, you I said, this is practice time. No one here but me and your mom and God. And God doesn't care if you stumble over your words. You know, I said, I said he, he said, okay, well, I still don't know what to pray. I said, okay, well, pray out scripture you know about healing. And ask, or don't, you know, just, just pray it. And, ask, and if God happens to give you more to say, speak it out. If not, say amen. The prayer of faith is short. A short prayer is just as effective as a long one if you pray in faith. Because you're not the healer. Jesus is the healer. Or Jesus is the provider. He's the one. You know, he's not, we, can't, we can't answer a person's prayer when we pray with somebody. If you lay hands on someone and pray in line with God's word and you pray believing the power of God is present to help that person, you've done all you can do. It's up to them to exercise their own faith to receive because whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Praise God. And, you know, I mean, there are, other, there are exceptions to that, but we're not going to teach on that now. As they say, always oh, leave them wanting more, right? Is your curiosity sparked? Good. We'll talk more about things next week. So was this helpful to you today? Yes. Praise God. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. You have been... Um, you've been far, far more generous with us than you ever had to be. So we thank you for your help. We thank you for your joy. Your joy is our strength. We thank you for it. And And we will choose to rejoice. And we will choose to honor you when you set someone in front of us who needs to hear from you. And so we thank you, Lord. We don't need to have all the answers. We just need to to walk with you. You're the one that has the answers. We thank you, Father, and praise you. I pray for everyone here. I pray that you you provide them with what they need, that you give them strength, that you give them healing, that you give them provision, that you give them peace. I pray, Father, also that you give them sleep. And I thank you, Lord, and I praise you. And in Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.